Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris with Scott Lease, and we are back for another edition of the Surfing Sales Podcast. Um, today we have a, a really interesting story with you. We have with us the VP of Commercial Client Services over at Market Source. His name is Ben Sims. Um, I think I've known Ben more on LinkedIn than anywhere else, but uh, we're going to get into his origin story. But Ben, welcome to the show. But most importantly, I want to hear how you actually got on the show because it's very different than um, you know most people. We just we just you know we ask and hope that they're nice enough to do it. Uh, this was a very different one. So tell us how it all worked out. Yeah. So Scott sent a post. I think this was in January ish, maybe the end of December, and he said, "Hey, I, I got." you know, my book here, uh, addicted to the process and I'm giving them away. And so if you have sales teams or sales reps that would benefit from this, you know, go ahead and order them. And I think he wanted a minimum hundred order or something like that. And I said, I'll take 200 because here at market source, we have several sales teams, um, that, you know, represent iconic brands in, 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 so I have literally dozens of sales teams and you know, they, we run the gamut. We have people right out of school. We have veterans. And I, you know, I thought this book would be just a great introductory start for them to launch their career and start planning ahead for their career. And, um, cause I agree with a lot of what's everything that's written in here. And so Scott kindly sent 200 of these to, to me and I handed them out right away and gotten some really good feedback on them. And, uh, and then I noticed that you guys launched your first batch of podcasts. Um, and I listened to those and, uh, thought, Hey, you know what? It might be fun to talk to you guys. So I reached out. So, cool. so just, cool. just so everybody understands, we didn't really know Ben. Ben sort of <laughs> saw Scott's post. Yeah. 200 books got Scott's attention. I actually remember when that happened. Um, he's like, dude, you're never going to believe this. And, uh, and then all of a sudden you even came to Scott and said, Hey, I think I should be on your podcast. Yeah. Right. So that's fantastic. Scott, what's your version of that story? Like what's your, no, that, is, that, that is, that is the version of the story. I just like the story. First of all, I don't think people who aren't in the podcasting kind of world, either doing their own or guesting on shows. I don't think people have any idea how you end up getting onto a podcast. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's, interesting for somebody to just reach out to the host of a podcast and just be like, Hey, I'd be a good candidate to be on the show. But we had already had this kind of, you know, little bit of a relationship going because I've been giving away books periodically for, you know, the last year and a half, two years, however long the book's been out now. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, I, but before I was doing onesies, twosies and I was, it was like so much work for myself that this last time I'm like, you know, I think I said 50 or a hundred, you know, minimum. So I, you know, boxed up 200 books and took it to the post office and, you know, did what I, did what I said I'm, what I'm gonna, was going to do. And here we are. So I yeah. just, it's a cool, cool story. Talk to, talk to me about managing multiple different sales teams. How many different sales teams do you have? Over 30. Over 30 different sales teams. And are you overseeing all of them? Yeah, you are. well, I'm not, look, I work for my people. So my teams have directors and program managers and then reps. Um, and, you know, I look at my world as I work for them and I work for our clients. And so, but it's cool because every hour I have a different conversation yeah. with a different 
client about a different topic and a different vertical and a different industry yeah. and a different go to market strategy. And it, it just makes my, you know, every day so much fun. So, so here, here's what, here's what I want to know, because I've, I've done what you're doing in a much smaller scale in terms of different products, different teams. I've had four or five different offices at one time in different time zones and everything. How do you go about <clears throat> prioritizing your day, making sure you're able to check in, you know, on not every single person, but at least, you know, with each particular group, how do you go about prioritizing your day and, and you know, getting all, getting all your work done? That's a, that's a heavy load and a difficult thing to maneuver. I am a, I am, um, I am confined to my schedule. My outlook runs everything I do all day, every day. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm doing tomorrow or the next day. I have to look, you know, see what's, what's coming up next. If it's more important meetings that I prep for, I'll schedule prep time. Uh, sometimes I need to do some research before I have the actual meeting. And so I'll actually put that, I'll even put just tasks in my calendar. So I am, I am very much, you know, chained to my schedule, how, and then there's priorities, right? There's our people are a priority. I do make walking around uh, at least once a week a priority where I'm just even saying hi to the reps and slapping high fives and checking in on how they're doing personally and professionally. I schedule one-on-ones um, with my direct reports on a monthly basis. Um, and then I do skip levels at least once a year and I schedule those as well. And so that's with our people. And then when it comes to our customers and clients, um, there's a cadence involved with that as well. Um, they may not like hearing this, but we score our clients and we tier them a little bit. And, and um, you know, I have, I have relationships that are very important that I, that I talk to more frequently. Um, I do talk to all of our customers on a regular basis, but some more often than others. Um, so it's, it's very much scheduled. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm chained to my outlook calendar. Ta very, very like tactically speaking, yeah. how, how do do you have different, contract terms for all the different products do you are they huge differences in in price points are they very different in methodology are some of them transactional versus longer enterprise and how do you keep all those things straight yeah that's a great question um they are very different literally every program is different and almost custom built um but the one common theme is there is a process to everything that we do. So we have smart people from Georgia Tech who reverse engineer all of our programs. And then we have a stage-by-stage -stage process with constraints and KPIs and technology. And I sit in on a lot of those prep meetings so I know what we're getting into. I also go to a lot of our pre-sales meetings with our prospective clients so I know what we're getting into. And so that kind of helps me wrap my brain about what we're doing with each individual program. And we're selling to SMB to answer a question. We're selling to enterprise. We do front of the, the top of the sales funnel lead gen, but we also do quote to cash and we also do account management and customer success so it depends on where the client needs us to grow their revenue the most where their biggest pain points are in growing revenue is what they'll have hire us to do because we could do it faster than they can um, and just you know I'm, I'm blessed to you know because of these relationships being involved in the pre-sale process being involved in the implementation I'm able to remember for the most part what we're doing with each of the programs Richard Richard what's the most number of different comp plans working under you that you ever had to be dealing with. Brett, 
he's over, he's over here with like you know 30 different roles 30. i know um, ben, ben is like you know i, I don't would, know there's no way you could keep he could keep all those comp plans straight no but, the, but I, I bet ben has you know ben has people ben's got people who can talk to people right yeah. uh for me I think my most was three sales teams, each selling different product lines with yeah. two different, two different sort of the inside and the outside. And so, so that's six, nine, ten different comp plans. Um, but I also had a strong HR department that was supportive of that because that was, you know, it, it was it was a combination for me of here's what I think on paper. They would go do the research to what the industry was doing, um, and then we'd figure it out together. So. I can't even begin to imagine like in some ways I'm like, Oh my God, that's fantastic. Every little thing's on your calendar. On the other hand, it's like, how do you handle the pop-ins? How do you handle the, the, the stuff that blows up in your face? Do you like, have you just gone to your calendar and for, you know, for all the way through 2020 on Mondays between nine and 10, I schedule nothing. And on Thursdays between 11 and 12, I schedule nothing so that you can catch up on stuff. Like how do you even manage that? No, I can't do that. No, there's a lot of travel involved with there too. So no, my man just to, you know, you guys talk about mindfulness a lot in, in some of your previous podcasts and that certainly is a big part of my day. So I do spend every morning uh, in some quiet time. Um, and I do find that that calms me and prepares me. Like just today, I've had some pop-ins on something that uh, one of my peers needs today. And do I really have time to get it done today? No, but I'm going to find the time and I'm going to get it done. I'm going to deliver it to them because they need it. And when I need something, I know I can rely on them. But I do, starting my day with that mindfulness keeps me from freaking out when something does pop on my lap. So you, we were, we were talking before we started recording, you know, you were traveling a lot last week and you, you got back and you, you dedicated the weekend to the family, right? Yeah, um, you've got two boys, right? How old are your kids? Uh, one just turned 10 and the other one turns nine in May. So they're only 15 months apart. So, so we're all three of us are in the yeah, same. We're all in the same boat. Basically. Scott's yeah. got 12 and 10. I've got 11 and a half and almost 10. So great ages. Uh, just right. great ages. Yeah. So, they're in the sweet spot. They are totally. It, it's still fun right now. Although yeah. God knows Riley, Riley's starting to hit that, that preteen stage. Yeah. Uh, mine still like me, fortunately. So mine do too. Mine do too. <laughs> but you know, so, and, and you know, there's this sort of, is it a myth? Is it a reality of work-life balance? Right. Um, how do you set that boundary? If you're that busy on your calendar, like, are you just that good at, okay, it's five 30. It's time to go home or six o'clock. You're, you're in the Atlanta area. So you're, you're East coast time zone are you able to shut it down at night? Um, are you able, how do you do that? Cause you, I mean, with that many sales teams and that many things going on, that's just, it, it's mind blowing to me. I am blessed to have a partner and my spouse that keeps all that keeps me grounded. And, um, you know, in her sometimes not so subtle ways and sometimes more subtle ways, she'll remind me that, Hey, you know, this is dedicated, you know, we need to, we need to spend some time with you. You need to spend some time with us this weekend. So a lot of times she, one, is very supportive of my career, understands when I have late evenings, understands why I have to have dinners with clients, understands why I have to travel, and is extremely supportive of all that and always has been. But then there'll be times where she'll just say things like, hey, we miss you. I know what that means. We need, you know, that means we need to spend some time together. And even though I may get invited to go play golf or go do something else over the weekend, you know, something like I just went through was, which was a Monday through Friday trip. 
uh, in three different cities, I knew, no, 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 there's nothing I can do that's more important this weekend than spending the time with my with my with the four of us and and you know that's all we did is um even though i got pinged and got invited to do other things you know that, that you know the family comes first i i so i have a i have a follow-up question because i think we all have that right i know i know scott's wife janet's that way and supportive and, and so is my wife kathy uh what about those moments when the kids bring it up and they're like <laughs> you know because that's reality right like it, it's you know our that, that's, a, that's a different level. That's a different level of soul crushing, right? So my my experience. But I think we should talk about it. Like, how do you manage that? How do what do you say to your kids when they're like, "Dad, I miss you, Daddy. When are you coming home?" Like, because it's important. No. We need to acknowledge these. These are these are human beings, right? And they rely on us. I haven't gotten that too much, actually. Um, I'll miss. I I like if I'm home, like I am now. Like I'm in Atlanta. And Jack has, my oldest has a baseball game tomorrow at 5.30. I'm out of here at 4.30 to make that ball game. And everyone here at Market Source understands that. We all, no one's asking me, where are you? And I'm not asking one that, you know, that works in our programs, where are you? So that's just understood around here that, you know, when, if I'm at home, I'm going to a baseball game or I'm going to the soccer game and I go to all those. I'll miss them when I'm, um, when I'm out of town and I'll, call and check in before the game and ask, you know, Hey, how, how are you feeling? Are you ready? What have you been working on? Uh, and then of course, right after the game, I get updates from my wife or my boys. We do a lot of video messaging. So my birthday was last week and, and they met, you know, I, it was on Thursday. And so I was out of town and they sent, you know, a nice, you know, they sent me a couple videos that day wishing me happy birthday. And then this weekend we all celebrated as a family. So we do a lot of videos back and forth as well. Uh, so you find ways to stay in touch. They haven't really said I miss you uh, too much. I haven't. I, I don't. Rem, you know. That that that, that comes kind of once you it. once you get. First of all, <laughs> none, Richard's kids maybe. My kids are not overtly using the phrase <laughs> "I miss you." Right? Oh my god! Very yeah. much couched in like, seriously, Dad, you're leaving again. Yeah. Like that's that's the version of I I miss you. And yeah. uh, you know, once your kid hits twelve, like mine. And is fully a snotty preteen. Um, yeah, it, it expect it to happen a little more more frequently. <laughs> to, can you tell everybody for context what Market Source does and what's what industry and what's the sales cycle like and all that kind of stuff? So we feel like we're premier outsource sales, right? So uh, companies hire us to augment or segment what they're already doing with their sales teams, but they see an opportunity for revenue lift and they want to break their st status quo or a different go-to-market strategy or a different revenue generating strategy. And then, you know, our biggest competition is they could do it themselves, which some of them do, but that's going to be drawn out. You have bureaucracy, you have just cultural dynamics, you have of course, you have to hire, train, yeah, how, develop. How do, you, how do you respond? How do you respond to, like, you know, you're, are you a sales team for hire? Are you like a we're a sales team for hire? Mercenary sales team. You're sales is like Don Ready, right? Jeremy Piven. Sales is a service, so we can stand up a team as small as five or as big as five hundred and get them hired and trained and deployed within sixty days of our, you know, letter of intent. And, uh, and then a big army of people, like Richard said, uh, that are helping these reps get ready when it comes to trainers, instructional designers, Salesforce admins. And then, and then out in the real world, you, you know, 
Marcus Source is not well known because we represent our clients' brands out yeah. in the real world. So you've there's a good chance you've run into our salespeople without even knowing it, right. uh, because we represent our clients' brands. Yeah. And is everybody is everybody based in Atlanta? Like, are you able to pull that much talent in that area? We have a big group in Atlanta, but we can also stand up teams in our clients' facilities, and then of course we do out, outside sales too. So we have people spread out around the country. That's amazing. That's really really cool. So what's your what's your background of sales? Where did you start? You know, Scott Scott did it out of necessity, right? Yep, yep, yep. yep. The professional sales world, did, the professional sports world didn't work. I did it just sort of naturally, uh, you know, selling candy and shit in in school. What what was what was what was little Ben? What was little Benny Simmons Sims like? So I'm one of those, and it seems like I'm rare when I listen to your podcast. I'm one of those that grew up knowing I wanted to get in sales. I knew at a very More rare. We have found yeah. we have found somebody who grew found up one. trying to be a sales guy. I went wow. to college knowing I wanted to get in sales. Not only that, I knew what wow. industry I, I knew what industry I wanted to work in. Um, and you know, at the time, they didn't really have sales majors, so I went right for the marketing major, which is all you know the closest thing to sales. And I knew so golf was my passion is one of my passions. Skiing and golf are my two sports passions growing up and um, very passionate about golf. And I knew I wanted to be a sales rep in the golf industry. I knew that going into college. In fact, while I was in high school, there was a company called Slotline Golf. They made putters. And I was a high school kid and I, I applied to be a manufacturer rep for them at that age. They, they didn't know, they, you know, they didn't know who they were talking to and went ahead and sent me the application and everything. And then I had to write down that I was 16 years old and I didn't get the job, but I knew that's what I want to do. So after college, I, I, I couldn't land that manufacturer rep job yet. So I went and worked for a big golf retailer. And then when I was in the retailer, every time a manufacturer rep would come in and train us on their products, I was taking them out for drinks afterwards or dinner or whatever. And I actually got to meet uh, Nathaniel Crosby, who is Bing Crosby's youngest son, who won the U.S. Amateur in 1980, golf amateur. And at the time, he was the president of Nicholas Golf Equipment. So Jack Nicholas, who owned, uh, started a, a, a golf equipment company. In fact, Jack's picture's behind me. Um, and, and they were looking for a regional sales manager, and I clung on to that and I wouldn't let go. And so then I went and worked for the Nicholas company for six years. And, uh, that's, you know, everything just kind of went to fruition. And then from there I made a couple industry changes afterwards, but I knew early on that, you know, I like talking to people. I like listening to people. I like win-win relationships and, um, I like closing deals and I'm competitive. So I knew pretty early on my mom even told, I remember my mom told her family, Ben doesn't need to go to college. And at the time I'm like, what? Everyone needs to go. And you just assume that that's the next step. And she always said, I always knew that you would be fine, even if you didn't go to college. And, and uh, because, you know, you just kind of have that sales DNA. And so I, yeah, I'm one of the rarities that knew pretty young. This is what is, I wanted to do. Is there anybody in your family who's in sales that you were like, oh, I have an uncle or my mom or my dad? Like, my dad started in sales, uh, so he was a broadcaster, actually. He started out as a weatherman and sports sportscaster on a TV network or some um, small station in Kansas. Then he got into sales, 
and started selling ads, became very good at that. And then he became a general manager of TV stations growing up. Since then, he's gone into other stuff. So he's got a lot of sales DNA. My mom is a very, she's not in sales per se, but if you were to meet her, she certainly has an outgoing personality. Um, so there's not many introverts in the Sims family, I can tell you that. So there's a What's lot of sales. I think right now I'm down to a seven, maybe a six, six wow. or seven. Wow. Wow. If, if Scott plays left-handed, he's a seven. If he plays right-handed, he's a 12. So, and he's the only guy I know who can actually play both ways. Like, it's scary. It's, well, you know, a trick. With a loose, loose turn play, I can participate. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you, so you decided to leave golf, right, um, and leave that industry, then moved into what industry from there? Yeah, I worked in higher education for 15 years. And what I mean by higher education is for-profit colleges, which had uh, their own stigma. Um, I ran admissions teams, which is an academic term for sales because you're recruiting students and signing people up and growing revenue. I did it for a technical college and uh, with had computer degrees. And then I did it for a nursing school as well for a little while. And then that industry really turned upside down due to some regulations or whatnot. And then found myself uh, getting back into B2B sales and been at market source for the last five years. You were there for 15 years. Yeah. Couldn't look it. What, what is it. what is it. What is it like to work for a company for 15 years? That's basically my entire career. Yeah, that was uh, that was a roller coaster ride because when I started with them, they were maybe a $25 million company and we grew it to 450 million. So we had a heck of a rise. And then when the regulations hit, we had the, we had a precipitous fall that went right off over a cliff. So did you um, stay there through the, the precipitous fall? And not all the way to the end, but I did end up getting laid off. In fact, I got laid off twice within uh, a year, uh, having worked in that same industry. And that's when mm -hmm. I knew I needed to change industry. Get out. Yeah. yeah. Oh. What, are, what are, what are some of the things that you learned along the way in, in staying someplace for 15 years that a guy like me would have no clue about since I've never done that? You know, what makes me loyal is the people I work with. And I really enjoyed the people I work with. Um, my boss, my peers, and, you know, I, I probably could have and should have started looking to make a career change sooner than I did. But even where I work now, I, I don't want to leave. I love where I work. And the big reason where I love where I work is the people I get to work with. So that's always one of my top priorities is that, hey, does the company I work for have the same core values that I have? And do I enjoy the people that I work with? And it's, it's, if you can check the box in both of those, I'm, I'm a pretty loyal person. I got a question because this comes up. We, you know, we just got back from Costa Rica and this came up with a lot of people attending was, um, you know, and, and, and I don't want you to throw anybody under the bus or, or criticize people, but you said to yourself that maybe I should have left sooner. What were some of those writings on the wall? Like what should people pay attention to when they think about, Hey, I have been here two, three, four years, five years, and maybe the grass is greener. Maybe it's not. But what are the things that, that you what advice would you give to someone if they were thinking of changing this is a crazy idea all right there was this there's this email blogger called ask the headhunter are you guys familiar with him at all i am not no all right he's out of seattle and his job he, he he's a he's a recruiter and he has this weekly email blog and it's called ask the headhunter and early on in his one of i started reading him 
And he had this concept that he called a library vacation, where he said, you take a week off, take PTO for one week. And what you do is you go to a library and you just hang out at a library literally for 40 hours that week, every day. And you just read periodicals or read about topics that you're interested in. Whatever comes to mind, don't go in with a game plan. Go in open-minded and just read and grab a notebook and pad and paper and just start writing down things that interest you. And by the end of that week, you're going to have a clear picture of where you want to work next. To me, I'll be honest, two things came to mind at the end of that week. One, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to start my own business. And two, I wanted to get back into B2B sales because admissions recruiting is very much B2C. Those were two things that kept popping up during that week on a variety of articles and magazines that I would read. Lo and behold, within two years, I had started a side business, uh, a, a music school, a school of rock franchise, and I got into B2B here at Market Source. So it just kind of happened. I told the universe this is what I wanted, and then it was delivered. But that library vacation, that one week PTO by myself in a library for 40 hours during that week was life-changing for me. It was, it, I, act, I, act, I absolutely recommend it for someone who's considering a change. What are the, and that's great. I love the advice. What are the things though that, cause that gives you the open mind to do this, right? To help you find your passion. But what are the things that you're still dealing with day to day where you're like, I'm tired of this rat race. I'm tired yeah. of this. What, what, you know, the bullshit, right? Like yep. at some point you said earlier, look, it's about who I work with. It's about who I work for. It's about the industry, all those things. And granted, the regulation came in to probably make it harder. But still, there's that emotional tie to these people in this company in this, you know, where you've dedicated your heart and your mind. What were some of those things that you're like, you know what, now that I know where I want to go, I'm ready to give up because of this, this and this. And I don't like how this is going. Yeah, well, one regulation did make it easy. So we had a bunch of regulation hit us. And that happens in a wide variety of industries that was really hard for us to overcome. And then second, you know, you do see the, the declining in revenue. You start to see the first rounds of layoffs, maybe a second round of layoffs. You're the one that has to deliver that tough messaging, never fun. Um, that's when, you know, it started triggering in my head, okay, maybe I need to look for some other options. What, do, what advice? Well, first of all, it had to be scary for you to go out into the world looking for a gig again after 14 years. Yep. What advice would you give to somebody who's been at a company for a really long time, other than, the, other than this library vacation, which is a great idea? Is there any other tips and, and tricks that you might give to somebody? What about, specific, what about specifically for like a head of sales? What if there's a VP or a head of sales out there who's been at one company for a long time and, um, you know, is, is making a move and is like freaked out, you know, nervous, scared, excited. What advice do you have for them? So first thing I need to do is write down a list of all the people that you admire, uh, friends, family, customers, former peers, you know, write a list of all the people you admire and who you would like to either seek advice from or even work with or work for. That's what I did. And I started going through that list and talking to each of them one-on-one, -on -one, 
or having lunch with them or having dinner with them and just one just started picking their brain and just being open and honest hey here's what i'm going through here's what i'd like you know here's what i have in mind what do you think are my are these sound ideas what am i not thinking of yeah. that i should consider and then you know as you go through that list opportunities are going to start popping up um and so to get, me that's get, get after your net get after your network and utilize the resources hard, yeah. hard. that's how you find a job in 2020 it's not yeah. it's not applying for jobs online anymore because right. the, the bots are going to weed out your resume because it's missing some key words that they're specifically looking for so to look for a job in 2020 or make a career change it's all about your network yeah i agree especially especially the kind of higher up that you that you go Right. I want to, I want to hear a little bit about, um, you, so you took this leap to school of rock, right? <laughs> Tell people what it is. Like it's too fun to not talk about. Yeah. So it was a side hustle. It was always meant to be a side hustle. Here's the story though, is my wife and I went into this together. So we're co-owners. Neither one of us are musicians. What I do have is the background of running schools. So I knew that Recruiting and retaining students are the two things you need to do. And then there's an operational aspect to scheduling classes and all that. And I, I understood all of that. So because I'd work in schools in the background, I figured this would be pretty intuitive and transferable. And it was for the most part, except for the part of not knowing music. We had to rely on hiring instructors that knew how to deliver our methodology. And um, I love rock and roll. It was certainly fun. There, we could have a whole nother podcast on running a business with your spouse because that was probably the biggest oh learning God, moment. A, this would be hilarious. That's a great, <laughs> great uh, concept. Well, it's funny you say that. She and I are thinking about starting our own podcast on this topic because um, it was a huge learning experience. We actually sold it last summer. We owned it for over five years. And um, the biggest aha moment was learning how to work with your spouse. Yeah, you, yeah. You, short, you, short answer. Do you recommend it? You must recommend it since you're thinking about doing it again. Well, a podcast isn't the same as running a business. No offense, but it's you know this. No, it depends on your relationship. I think it's case by case. I would do it differently if we were to do it again. Um, uh, we both have, you know, there's there's just the thing is about running your own business, running a business with your spouse is it becomes all consuming, right? This is an investment that you're making. So when you're making a financial investment, there's, you know, it's personal. And then all of a sudden you get home from work and instead of talking about your kids little league game, you're talking about the business, you're talking about turnover, you're talking about, you know, our student population, we're talking about marketing, we're talking about pay making payroll, all, all of a sudden that consumes all of your conversations which in a lot of ways is not healthy. And so yeah. um, there, was a, there was a right? yeah. yeah, it was a big learning experience. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes Scott and I have that challenge in our relationship. <laughs> yes. And I, and I constantly question the efficacy of this whole thing. I know. And it's hard running starting a business is hard. My wife really is the one that got it started and she fried herself. So then I kind of took over more in the last couple of years and we had a staff run it day to day. But even as a side hustle, it, it, you know, it was very time consuming. I'd leave from market source, go to the studio, check in or go to gigs that we might be playing on the weekends. And it was, uh, you know, side hustles are, are, um, they can be, they can be very time consuming, but if it's something you're passionate about, I certainly recommend pursuing it. 
So I want to go back to your management, right? Um, for you to make that leap from sales to leadership, right? Um, as a rep and into, you know, some level of leadership and into where you are now, right? You've got to be really dedicated to wanting to manage things, to manage issues or problems that pop up, right? Um, how do you keep yourself sane from all that aside from your calendar, right? Like well, that's, yeah, go ahead. The mindfulness, you know, every morning that quiet time is critical to me. You know, just the breathing exercises, the, for me, it's prayer. For some people it's meditation. Uh, you know, that I did it this morning. I, I, I do it every morning. That, that is very critical to me to managing my stress. Um, and then I also, it's not about me. It's about, it's about the people um, that are in the programs. I really thrive on um, career development. Um, if you, if you think about my entire career, even in the working for the colleges, that was about growing careers and the people who work for me, it's about growing their career. And when I see reps who come in and then kind of either grow their careers into AEs or grow their careers into leadership, you know, that's what gets me going every day. That's what I'm most passionate about is growing careers. I feel like there's got to be a teacher element in leadership. You've got to really enjoy. Oh, hundred percent. Especially the longer you do it. Yeah. Cause, cause otherwise you will drive yourself crazy, right? If you're yeah, just I, can, I can tell you, it doesn't necessarily become more fun when you're explaining something for the 10,000th time <laughs> for the 15th year of doing it. So yeah, like it's frustrating. It really, you really have to enjoy teaching and coaching and mentoring and developing people, you know, the way Ben's talking about. Yeah. But I also, I also think too, that, you know, Ben hit, has hit a level that we never got to Scott, where it's like, he, it may take him a while to have that 10,000th conversation because he's got so many direct reports now, right? And he can also sort of, as Scott likes it, Scott's a, I, I think, again, yeah, I'm going to guess the same. Scott's very good at playing chess with management. You know, he doesn't play checkers, he plays chess. And I, I can only assume that's a, a similar thing for you where you can, maybe rather than you telling someone how to do it, maybe you get this other person who knows, who you now know trust, you know, go ask so-and-so because they're going to help you do it. And I want you to hear from your peer versus me, you know, that kind of stuff. That's right. That's yeah. right. He might, not be having, he might not be having the same 10,000 conversation with the same person, but I can assure you at some point, all those conversations sound the same. I can, I, I've had the same conversation with hundreds of people before. They just look a little bit different and their accents a little bit different. Yeah. All, I mean, it all, I, I it also, all, it all gets routines. You have to fundamentally be into, you know, um, developing people and, and, being a part of their career growth and the, and the reward you get from seeing other people su succeed. Otherwise you just burn out for sure. That's funny though. A lot of the sales methodologies that I learned as an individual contributor, I use in a leadership role. In other words, I try to pull the answers out. I don't want to tell them what to do. If you pull the answers out from people, then there's more ownership. So therefore, if you think about sales methodologies, you know, there's discovery questions with the prospect and the buyer. Same thing with the people who, you know, work underneath you. you you're asking the questions, you're asking the why questions and the how questions. How could, how would you do this differently? So even though I know the answer, I'd rather pull the answer from them. And then there's a call to action. Okay, what are we going to do next? You know, so you know, one of the things, again, I'm passionate about what we do in sales, but it transfers to leadership as well. Some of those individual contributor skill sets certainly transfer. I, that's exactly how I teach it, right? It's the same tactics, right? Like there's, it's, it's all some level of psychology, 
right? It's the same stuff your therapist uses, you know, or or your clergy person if you go to that person for your guidance, right? Um, and I, I completely agree with you. Um, do you do you miss the, being an individual contributor? You're like, no, I'm, 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 you know, I really like what I do. Like, I, you know, what do you think? I sometimes, I mean, especially at the enterprise level, I like having those strategic conversations with enterprise. Um, um, and that's why I, I enjoy getting involved in the pre-sale conversations, even though I'm not the closer. I just like to be part of those conversations. Um, and especially when you're thinking, when you're doing high level strategy stuff. Um, at that level, I, I, I miss being an individual contributor. But I, you know, leadership is, you know, gets, that's what put, makes me put my socks on in the morning more so. What? What are some of the things that you, you know, I mean, you, you've now managed a ton of people. You've hired a ridiculous amount of people. What do you see are the top skills to look for in a sales rep? And, and, it, and believe me, I know there could be like, hey, here's an early stage salesperson versus, hey, this is what I need in an enterprise rep, right? I, what are the things that you see? So I've actually done this. There's a, um, there's a presentation I give in front of a group, and it has about 30 different core competencies to choose from. And out of the core competencies, I have the audience break out into tables and we narrow it down to the 10 most important and we narrow it down to the five most important as a group. And in sales, it always ends up being the same core competencies. And this is true, I think, whether you're an SDR or an AE or customer success, there are certain skill uh, sets that all salespeople, I think, across all of them need to have. One, active listening skills. I don't think you're going to be great in any of those roles unless you have strong active listening skills. You need to be results-oriented, okay? If you're going to be in sales, there's going to be objectives, there's going to be a number to hit, there's going to be a revenue, and you got to have that competitive nature to be results-oriented. I think you have to have a certain amount of energy where at 5 p.m., you need to be willing to pick up that phone just as much as you were able to pick it up at 9 a.m. Is that, is, that, is that energy to you, or is that just, you know, um, mental fortitude to, to continue to, to push on and, and pick up the There's, phone one or two more, more times? A little bit of both. So work ethic, I would, I would squeeze work ethic into that. It's kind of a combination of both. Yeah. Um, and so, and then I, you got to be coachable again for all of these roles. You got to be open to feedback without getting too defensive and being open-minded to receiving some constructive criticism from time to time. And so those are the, I, those are the skill sets I, and core competencies I look for, for hiring any revenue generating role. Now the rest of it will, then it varies from there. Like conversation starters are very much an SDR, AE type role and then the customer success people are going to be more heavier on relationship building uh and i do think there's some differences in people's core competencies in those areas so there is some differentiation obviously in sales roles but those are the five competencies that i think spread across all of them this, this alone could be a whole other podcast too but <laughs> just from a tactical perspective right let's just say hey you're looking for that energy or work ethic to do something at 5 p.m right how do you find that in an interview? How do you find that in someone? I interview them at 5 p.m. I want to see what they're like at the end of the day. That's so what are you so what are you looking for though? Like what are, what are your what are your signs like their energy okay. level? Or do they have energy and are they excited at five something o'clock at night or are they pissed off they're not they're at not at happy hour or are they tired or are they, what? Right? I, 
I purposely uh, do phone interviews and face-to-face -face interviews at the end of the day. So when you think about who is it, Daniel Pink, I think, wrote a book on this on uh, the different energy levels that we all have throughout the day. And the trough of the day is typically three o'clock for all of us. And then you make a little comeback around six o'clock. I like interviewing people during the trough of the day uh, just to see what their energy is like at three, four, five o'clock. It's interesting. I, I, I did the same tactic, but I used to do interviews first thing in the morning. I like to see what people are like first thing in the morning and how they kind of hit the ground running in their day. Um, were they late? Were they on time? Were they racing in? Oh, yeah. Kind of stuff, so. yeah. Same, same strategies, different part of the day. Yep. Yeah. Well, how can we help you, Ben? This is the kind of the end of the, the show here and appreciate you being on. Is there anything uh, that we can do? You know, I really wasn't looking for this uh, other than I just like you guys and I wanted to have a conversation. I guess uh, look me up on Twitter or LinkedIn and uh, engage. I do, you know, I like to engage on those two forums. And, um, and if, you're a, if, you're a sales if you're a sales leader looking to grow your revenue quickly and you have a big, bold idea, just talk to us and, you know, we'll do a free assessment and do a strategy session with you, whether you use market source or not. You guys always hiring out there in, uh, in Atlanta? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're always hiring. All kinds of roles or really just individual contributor roles? Typically individual contributor roles. I mean, we like to try to promote from within as much as we can. Right now, we have a pretty good year or off to a fast start. And so we are looking for some sales managers, uh, program managers. Um, but um, yeah, if you if you like sales, then we're a great company to work for. Right on. Cool. Appreciate the, the time, Ben. Thanks for uh, doing the podcast with us, man. Glad you and your team enjoyed the uh, the book and all that. And uh, yeah, they stay in touch. All right, I appreciate you guys having me. Thanks for the conversation. Thanks, Ben. We really appreciate it. All right, take care.